Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for, event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. One click on any device and they're watching you swim live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. Okay, Andrew Baldwin, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? Thanks, Brett. No, really good, mate. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Good to see you. Listen, um, look, you may not know this, but you were a huge influence on on me as a young swimmer. You know, I, I watched you at the 1990 Commonwealth Games specifically, I can remember, and you were you were a superstar at that um, meet, but you were you were a sprinter, and there wasn't a lot of sprinters um, in Australia back back in the late 80s, 90s. Sprinting wasn't really a thing, and you were the first of our kind, you know, so for me, you were like the, you were the man. Um uh, did you know that about yourself at the time, like back then? No, not really, but you are right. I mean, sprinting wasn't really, you know, we weren't strong in sprinting in Australia. Um, obviously, we were in the 50s and 60s, but um, but certainly not in the, um, you know, in the 90s. And, um, you know, and, and we were sort of, myself and Dennis Cottrell were really sort of breaking new ground in, when it came to sprinting. And uh, he had a really... Um, unique and interesting way of coaching and uh, you know he was at the forefront of, of really what we were doing in Australia um, but but as trailblazers we didn't really feel like that it was just what we were doing and I just wanted to get out there and, and, and perform and, and and try and break new ground for the sport I mean in, in the latter part of my career I was probably more aware of, of what what we had done or what we were doing yeah um, but it was just great that that you know we were able to to get out there and, and, and do something together. Uh, and it was very much a partnership with Dennis and myself at, at that time. Yeah, mate, you swam at the 88 Olympics, right? Yeah. And then yeah. that was the first time they had the 50 freestyle. So it was, it, t- yes. talk to me about that time, like, you know, finding out that the 50 is going to be an event finally. And, and how do you, you know, what's the mentality back then? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I made my first team in 87. So I got, I got, to meet my hero, Matt Biondi and, and Tom Yeager at the Pan Pacific Games in, in, um, in 1987. Right. They were in Brisbane um, and I was 15. So I made my first team at 15. So I was quite young. Uh, and I remember walking out with Matt. I qualified in, in lane six. He was in lane five. And I turned to him and said, good luck. And I was just excited to be able to talk to him. And, yeah. and then at the Olympic Games in 88, um, uh, I, I qualified for the team. And then we went out to Boca Raton. Um, in Florida mm. uh, for, a, for a meet and Matt was there and he was in very, very heavy training at the time. And, uh, and I was fresh. I'd just come off the Olympic trials and I won the, the, the 50 and 100 free there. And it was really interesting that the, the different dynamic with the media um, and, you know, I was, interest, I, I was introduced as the guy that beat Matt Biondi and, and the American media just simply wasn't interested in, in talking to me, which I thought was fantastic because they knew he was in hard training. Yeah. Um, you know, and I I just come off the back of, of an Olympic trials and you know the Australian media went nuts about it, but I knew within myself 
he was just off the back of swimming a you know 22 low and a 48 low and, and whatever he's, he did at his trials. But then when we were at the Olympic Games, because I sort of formed this friendship with with Matt, I, you know, I remember he came up to me, uh, you know, after the, the heats and he said, oh, how are you going? And I said, Matt, I think I finaled. And he's like, that's awesome, Andrew. And, you know, he was really genuinely excited that, that I'd finaled. And um, so, yeah, it was the first time that the world had come together in, in 88 uh, after the the 84 and 1980 boycotts. Um, and so it was the first time the whole world had come together and there was just this really amazing feeling and, um, you know, to get up there and, and to be a part of that that first 50 freestyle um, was a pretty special moment. And, and to be there with, with, you know, my mentors and my idols was, yeah. was even more special as well. Tell me this, what was sprinting back in 88? What, what were you trying to do? <laughs> I know that you swam very uh, head high. I know that. Uh, what, what, what was sprinting? <laughs> oh, sprinting back then. I mean, we used to take two breaths for the 50. Now, I mean, some, some of the guys don't even breathe at all or, okay, or they're yeah. taking at least one. Um, you know, I mean, the pool was a lot longer. The, the <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we didn't have these... Um, these launch pads to launch ourselves off. Yeah, so, no, yeah. I mean, it, look, it was, it was, yeah, we were just discovering what it was like to sprint. I mean, there was not yeah. a lot of underwater work that went on. I mean, there was a right. backstroke. Um, and looking back now, that's really something we should have explored more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was just, a, just about, you know, just getting in there and, and having a crack uh, and trying to work out, you know, what the best stroke rates were to, to, to maximize speed and, um, you know, we were just exploring new ground, particularly in the yeah. 50. Yeah. What about in training? What was what was training like for the sprints back then? Well, actually, uh, funnily enough, Dennis introduced the – I think we were probably really the first people to introduce harness work. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, we, we, Dennis used to make up these harnesses and uh, <laughs> we, he always used to have to wear goggles when he was towing me or – or wear glasses because quite often the, the harnesses would break because we were just, you know, pioneering this sort of stuff. And he'd end up with all these welts all over his back and on his face. And, <laughs> um, and I can remember at the 1991 World Championships, we were doing a lot of harness work there and uh, it really sent a lot of uh, people talking about what we were doing there. And, and I remember one of the um, senior coaches of the Australian team said to Dennis, you know, when are you going to stop using that bloody rubber band? Um and now you see that, you know, harness yeah. work is, you know, forms a lot of what sprinters do and swimmers do now, both resistance and assisted harness. Absolutely. Um, and it, that, that was really wonderful stuff that we were doing there, um, you know, groundbreaking things that Dennis brought into the program for us. Yeah. Were you doing much recovery back then? Was recovery a thing back then? <laughs> yeah. Recovery was uh, 2100s on the 120 or 115. And, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it was an interesting time because, uh, you know, when Don Talbot came into into the team, I think in 1989 was his first team, uh, he didn't really understand the concept of recovery. Um, and that's where a lot of things sort of didn't go so well for Australian sprinting. Um, and, and and a lot of what we did, actually all of what we did was based off Kieran Perkins. So yeah. my heart rate sessions went from 9 to 12 100s uh, to 3100s on the 130. Yeah. Um, and, and it just became about survival, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was where Australian sprinting really took another hit. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
And it wasn't until Gennady Turetsky came in with Alex Popov into Australia in 1993 after, the, uh, after his win in 92 at the Barcelona Olympics where Gennady really stood up to, um, to Don and, and told him what really needed to be done with Australian sprinting. And, and then, you know, again, off, off we went. And, you know, then we did get our recovery sessions. And I remember being in a camp in, uh, in I think it was Canberra, and um, Don and, and Gennady were having a screaming match on the, on the uh, side of the pool because Gennady said that we needed to recover. Yeah. And he changed the whole session to just 3K recovery of whatever you want to do. Um, and Don didn't like that because there was a, a predetermined session that had to be swum. And Gennady said, no, you know, these guys are spent. We're not going to get anything out of them. Um, so, so it was probably then that there was a real shift again in, in Australian sprinting where recovery really did form a part of what we were doing. Yeah. Um, whereas prior to that, if, if, if we weren't meeting the, the set targets, um, you know, and, and the coaches were reporting to, 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 to the head coach uh, about the sets we were doing, you know, we were threatened with, you know, funding being taken away from these coaches and all sorts of things. So it, was, it became a pretty tough time. Um, there was a lot of friction amongst the coaches and, and the head coach, uh, the, the sprint coaches at that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I remember some of that stuff, but uh, certainly a little bit earlier than me and that was going on. It, it was a process. And, and I'm so glad Gennady came to Australia and, and Alex came yeah. to Australia. It really shifted things completely because who knows where it probably just would have kept going the way it was going, but um, would have buried a lot of sprinters. But in, in it, did, fact, it did bury a lot of sprinters. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot of heavily muscled guys like Darren Lang and, yeah. you know, Angus Waddell, I remember. And, and, and myself, I kind of got through it. Chris Feidler probably coped with it a little bit more because he could put together a really good 200 free. But, yeah. but some of us really, really did struggle. And, and you know, there was a lot of shoulder injuries and all sorts of stuff during that time. Yeah. Tell me about this meet in Auckland, 1990 Commonwealth Games. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with Commonwealth Games as, as much as we are, it's a big meet. It's it, it can, If you're successful there, it can shoot you into stardom in Australia. And I, and I get a feeling that's kind of what it did for you in, in 1990. You had this breakout in multiple gold medals in, in many different events, sprinting the freestyle butterfly and also relays. So did it change your life? Um, yeah, I suppose in many regards it, it, it did. Um, you know, you know, you'd walk down the street, you know, in my local community here on the Gold Coast, and you know, you would often be signing autographs for young kids and, and things, which was fantastic because the sport had a real profile. Yeah. Back then, um, you know, and there's been a shift now where probably a lot more towards professional sports here in Australia. Um, and, you know, we, we, I think as a sport, we really need to reinvent ourselves and, um, you know, get our swimmers back out there because they are amazing athletes and amazing ambassadors for sport and for mental health and all sorts of stuff. But, but it, 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 it is a big meet for, for Australians. Yeah. And it was a wonderful opportunity for me to have my family there and that they were there to watch it all. And, uh, you know, there were some amazing times that I had on the Australian team and then obviously eventually captaining the team, which was a real honour. Um, at the 1994 Commonwealth Games in Victoria, Canada. Um, but, uh, you know, for us in Australia, there's probably four big meets. There's World Champs, Pan Packs, Olympics and Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously you've got World Short Course and all sorts of stuff beyond that. Um, but it, it really was an amazing meet, you know, to be there and, and to perform like that. And you don't, you don't often do that in your career where, where everything sort of comes together in one meet. And, and for me, it did. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful experience to be a part of a team then, yeah. What about as you got older and, and as you went through, it was tough back then. There wasn't a lot of money in the sport. How were you, how were you um, surviving? How, how were you, you know, swimming at the highest level? Cause you, you, you were in the top 20 in the world for about 10 years, I believe. So how did you manage that? Well, I had really supportive parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, look, my, my father was a, a very big on, on education and, um, he said, your swimming career can be taken away from you, but an edu- edu- education can never be taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up, uh, I was very fortunate that I was given the first sporting scholarship to Bond University, uh, Australia's first private university here in Australia. Mm. Um, and and I, I, I stuck with it. It was tough. You know, sometimes I was doing, you know, one subject per semester and it was really tough when all my friends left and graduated and I was still there. Um, but I, I, I got through that. Um and, you know, I, I, I had a stint living away from home and that was an absolute unmitigated disaster for me. <laughs> um, so, look, I just had really supportive parents and, and really in, in, in swimming, you know, you can't, it's really tough to make it without supporting parents. Um, and I just kept telling myself that, you know, if, if I'm getting a $2,000 grant from the government, it's more than they got, you know, back in the, in the 60s and 70s. So I was just very lucky that... Uh, that I had a supportive family and, and, and I was able to get through to, to a point where, you know, I hung up the togs and the goggles and, uh, you know, got on with my life. Tell me about that. By the time you decided to hang it up, what are some of the lessons you learned through that period, you think? <sighs> to, to, to be in the moment, I would say, and, and to really appreciate the gifts that you have and the experiences and the environment that you're in, I mean, you're, you're, you're amongst some of the most positive, amazing, capable people. Mm. Um, and they're all doing a positive thing. And, you know, to be amongst that community and, and, and to harness, you know, that moment. And, you know, if you're at an Olympic Games or a Pampax or whatever it is, just just be there in that and, and um, you know, take it all in. And, and appreciate, you know, what it is that you're experiencing and, and that not a lot of people get to do that. And, yes, you're, you've got a gift and, yes, you've got a work ethic, um, but you're also very fortunate as well. Uh, and I think that that's, that's really important to, 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 to take that away from your career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell, tell me, do you have any funny stories uh, of, of back then? Any uh, any stories on the Australian team? Any any uh, interesting things happen? <laughs> must well, have a couple. <laughs> oh, look, you know, you, you talk about how how tough the sport can be, and and you know things like that. So, I mean, probably one of the standouts for me is the nineteen eighty eight Olympic trials. They were down in Manly in Sydney. And uh, my parents had taken me down and we had an apartment that we were staying in. Um, And my my, my parents wanted me to be with them so that they could cook for me and and all sorts of stuff. And uh, there's sort of two funny takeouts I had. There there was a a friend that we had down with us and I was debating about whether I should shave uh, for the meat or not. (laughs) He just said to me, are you nuts? This is the Olympic trial. So (laughs) so I ended up shaving. I was only 16 at the time, so a little bit naive and, Mm. Um, but, but the biggest takeout from that was, was we found out that my coach, Dennis Cottrell, was hitchhiking down because uh, he just didn't have any funding. He couldn't afford a flight 
down to Sydney. Wow. Um, and then we also found out that he was sleeping in, he was sleeping rough um, in, in shop, front, shop fronts overnight wow. uh, as, as a, a homeless coach, really. Um, and my parents were absolutely mortified um, mm. that, that he was doing that and he was still turning up to, to the session. He didn't say anything to anybody. Um, and obviously when my parents found out, we, we took him in, um, oh, into our apartment Wow! and he, he, he refused to sleep in the bed. He slept on the floor. Um, and, uh, cause he felt like he was imposing somehow on us. I mean, this is my coach, my, yeah. you know, like my brother. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we went through that meet together and, and, uh, you know, made the team and, and, and the funny thing is I, I won the 50 and the hundred free and qualified in, in both for the team. Um, and he didn't put his name down as a coach. And uh, because he didn't have enough confidence in himself that he was going to be selected. Uh, and because he didn't put his name down, he didn't officially get selected, but they still took him away anyway. And he was there at the Olympic Games. Um, you know, and, you know, that's just the way things were back then. You know, he just uh, very humble and, and an unassuming person back then. And, and, uh, you know, I was just obviously grateful that he was there at the Olympics with me. But this is this is Dennis Cottrell we're talking about, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport now, you know, coaching, uh, very famous for coaching Grant Hackett, especially. especially. Yeah. Um, tell me about Dennis, you know, talk to me. What what made, what makes Dennis so great? What made him so great? Dennis is, he's an eccentric. Um, and he's, he's, he actually reminds me of, uh, uh, Dean Boxall is very similar to Dennis actually. Right, um, yeah. Who coaches Ariane Titmus and, um, um, Elijah Winnington and, and various other great swimmers, but but you know they're, they're the sort of coaches like Dennis. You know, it's just get out of their way and let them do their thing. Yeah, and and that's obviously what Don Talbot didn't do, and 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 why Dennis and, and Don clashed a lot. And I, I you know, if, if there is a regret, um, it would be that Dennis was allowed to just get out there and, and do his thing. Um, you know, and the powers that be wouldn't wouldn't allow that. Um, you know, and, until obviously Gennady came in and then, you know, Dennis had a lot more success with, um, with Grant. But they were tough times back then. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he was an amazing thinker. Um, you know, he was just the right fit for me. You know, he, he, he didn't over-engineer um, things in terms of the way he prepared you for a race. He was very calm and that's what I liked. Um, yeah. And uh, he was very analytical as well. And, and, you know, in terms of understanding stroke, there's probably not a better stroke technician in the world. I would say have to be in the top three. He just gets stroke um, yeah. and, and really understands it. And, and he's married to the sport yeah. and, uh, you know, not earning any money, had to supplement his income. And I told you the story earlier about, you know, he was just married to the sport. He doesn't have children and his children were the athletes. Um, you know, he used to pick me up for training when we were, when I was young and we used to not have a heated pool here on the Gold Coast. And so we used to have to drive 45 minutes down to an indoor heated pool in New South Wales. Um, and he was preparing me for the 1987 Pan Pacific Games. We'd do a morning session, short course down in New South Wales. And then we do an afternoon session in a 15 metre heated, uh, resort pool. Um, and I'd be on harness the whole time. Mm. Um, wow. as a 15 year old and, and that's the way he prepared me for 
1987 uh, Pan Pacific Games trials because we didn't have any other facilities. So he, he had the ability to just adapt and, and make you feel like you were doing the work when you obviously weren't um, and, and, and gave you the confidence to still get out there and perform. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis is a good man. Love him. And the thing I love about Dennis is always asking questions. He's, he's inquisitive. Like he, yeah. he cares and he's generally interested. And, and I love that. You know, you, you get a guy who has been at the highest level and he's asking the simplest person over here questions about themselves, you know, and you're and, and really interested. And I always love that about Dennis. I felt like he cared about me and, and, and I had something to say. I don't know what it was, but I had something to say and he cared about it, you know, and, that makes you feel yeah, he does. And 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 you know, I, I remember one one time um, we were at a, I think it was the nineteen ninety Commonwealth Games, and um, he one of the competitors that I was competing against asked if they could borrow my harness, and he said absolutely, let them have the harness. And I lost my, you know, <laughs> lost it at Dennis about you know helping someone else out who I've got to compete against, and he just came straight back to me and said, if you can't beat that guy at your best, then you shouldn't beat him. Mm. And I thought, okay, where do I go with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. so he, he was all for the sport and, um, you know, he, he's, he's got great connections and great friendships all throughout the world. Well, I'll tell you this, you and I overlapped a little bit. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how much I can't remember, but I, I do know we went on a, a, a European tour together. We went to... We went to, uh, they used to have these meets out in Europe where, I don't, know, I don't know what they called them, but it was like, we went to Finland. I know that. I mean, yeah, it was like, like, well, they call it World Cup or something Yeah, like World that. Cup, something I like that. We did, a, we did a World Cup together. And, and so I know we overlapped. So, you know, you probably don't know this, but, um, you know, I looked up to you. you. You were the guy and you had a lot of swagger. And like, you carried yourself as a sprinter. You know, sprinters carry themselves a certain way and you certainly had <laughs> swagger. You had experience, which was intimidating to me. You know, like you'd just been there, done that. You'd done everything I wanted to do. So just being around you was intimidating. It was, it was difficult. But I learned a lot from that experience. I learned a lot from watching you. I learned a lot from the way you carried yourself, the way you prepared yourself, the way you competed. Um the way you interacted with your, with competitors, I watched and I, and, and I, and I studied you. And so I appreciate that. I just wanted to tell you that I, I thank you. Oh, for mate, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's, um, that's really nice. Uh, yeah. and I hope I was able to impart something positive onto you and, and, you know, and you were able to go on and be successful in your career. Yeah. Well, one of the things I realized was that, look, if, if you, if you have doubts about yourself, if you don't believe in yourself, you don't have a chance. Like it's, it's tough yeah. enough when you do believe in yourself, it's, it's already tough because you've got other guys that believe in themselves, but if you don't, then you don't stand a chance. And I, and I learned that from you is like, you believed in yourself and you carried yourself like a winner and, and you were there to compete. And, um, and I liked that. And I, and I learned from that. And, and it was tough to, to take that on because, you know, you have a lot of doubts about yourself and, and I, and I realized I, I, I didn't have the experience. So I think over time I, I took from you that like, look, you got to believe in yourself and you got to carry yourself a certain way as a sprinter. Otherwise you don't have a chance in hell. You know, I ended up racing guys like Alexander Popoff and Gary Hall Jr. And, and the, the, you know, legends, guys yep. kind of like, you know, your Matt Biondis, you know? And so look, if, if you don't have any belief in yourself, you don't have any chance. So, um, so I certainly learned those things from you and I appreciate that. Um, but like you, you also were dominant in Australia for many years. And, and um, so I wanted to be that guy over time. And, and that, that took a little while, but I, I finally got there. But um, in terms of, uh, you know, 
once you decided to hang it up and, and, and then what you decided to do with your life beyond that, like where did you, you've got some swim schools now, I believe. So how did you come up with that concept? So for, for me, really, I, I didn't really finish my career, the, you know, the way that I wanted to. And I, I think quite often most swimmers or most athletes don't finish their careers the way that they would really want to on their own terms. I mean, my sister died of breast cancer in 1995. She was 31 years old and, and she was my biggest fan. She would just go everywhere. And for me, um, when she died, I really lost that drive. I really right. lost that confidence. I really lost that, that edge. Um, and, and for me, the desire to compete was, was, was kind of lost. And, and I, I remember going to the 1996 uh, Olympic trials and I, I just, you know, I trained really hard and I was very, very fit. And, 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 I, and when I raced, I just didn't have it anymore. Yeah. Um, so that was a really tough time for me, um, losing her. Um, but, 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 but then sort of once I, I realised that uh, it was probably time and, you know, the, night, the, the 2000 Olympics were coming up as well and, you know, there was a bit of a desire to keep going. But, you know, when my sister died, I just didn't have the heart to keep going. Yeah. So... Um, I met my wife, Karen, and, um, and we got together and she's got swimming background as well. And, uh, you know, we just decided to, to start some swim schools and, and 25 years later, we now have five of them and, um, you know, we've got three gyms as well. And, and, and so life's good. And, and um, the sport's given me a lot. It's, it's, and it's taught me a lot, uh, you know, about, um, you know, how to be resilient. And, and, you know, nothing comes easily. So, so the sport has given me so much more um, than I've given it. And, and now that I'm, I'm also on the board of Swimming Australia, so I'm wanting to give back to the sport as well um, because it has been so kind to me. And I'm still involved in it, obviously, with the swim schools and, and we're growing our businesses now. Um, and, and it's just great to see we, we, we've got um, athletes that have made Australian teams that have come through our program as well, which is really exciting. Um, you know, we've got uh, Elijah Winnington who's going to be at the uh, Olympic trials and Cody Simpson as well, who we taught to swim, yeah. um, is coming out yeah. as, as well. And, and so it's just great to see, you know, the wheel turn and, and, and these athletes, you know, coming in and representing your country and you've had some influence in some way, you know, to their career. So it's very satisfying for me. Man, I can tell you, there's no, there's, you know, there's no Michael Clems and there's no um, Eamon Sullivan's and, and and even Brett Hawks without you know Andrew Bailden. So you you definitely had an influence on sprinting. I mean, look where it's gone from 2000 to to where we are today. I mean, the 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 number of sprinters we've had in the last 20 years um, at the highest level has just been remarkable. Um, you know, uh, so it, it's, yeah, well, it's nice. It, it, look, it it is, and and f for us back in 1990. You know, breaking 50 seconds in Australia was a really big deal and it was something that we as sprinters, we just, it was like the four-minute barrier in, in, in you know, in, in running and, and athletics. And, and, you know, once one person does it, then everybody sees that it's possible. And yeah. uh, I was fortunate enough to, to be the person that could break down that barrier for Australia. Yeah. Um, and then we saw ourselves, we felt different about things and we were able to build uh, build upon that and and then obviously you know i referred to Gennady coming in and really helping set up the sprint program nationally and then where we are now we've got 
you know, some amazing sprinters, uh, you know, yeah. obviously won the last Olympic Games and it'll be interesting to see, you know, the Olympic Games this year and how the, the, the 100 free goes and the 50 free goes because it, uh, it's going to be an amazing event. Yeah, can't wait either, mate. Um, tell me, you mentioned the, the being on the board of Australian Swimming. What does that actually mean? What, what, do, what do you do on the board of Australian Swimming? <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> and we don't get paid. No, it, it's a volunteer uh, position. And, um, you know, again, it's for me, it's about giving back to the sport. Um, and it, I'm, I'm just in there and, you know, to my mind, I just want to be in there and make the sport better. So when, when I leave and finish my time on the board, I want to make sure that the, the sport is in a better place. I want to make sure that the particularly the athletes and the coaches are looked after um, and, and they feel appreciated. Uh, and, and I also, for, for me, I want to make sure that our sport is growing again um, because the, the, the professional sports in Australia are really taking over. They're a real powerhouse here. You know, and the Olympic sports particularly are struggling for funding and, and, and things like that. And I want to turn that around and, and get things back to where they should be. Yeah, mate, there was a moment in the lead up to Sydney and we can see that um, beautiful uh, thing in the background, uh, the torch. That's what I was <laughs> Beautiful torch, the Sydney Olympic <laughs> torch back there. Um, you know, there was a time around Sydney where swimming was booming, you know, like everyone was yeah. a, a superstar and, you know, we were, we were doing really well as a team. Um it seemed we've lost a little bit of that. How do we how do we get that back? Being on the board of Australian Swimming, do you guys talk about that? Yeah, we, we talk about it all the time. I mean, it was definitely a golden era um, around the Olympic Games. And, you know, we had that amazing moment between probably 99 to about 2008 where we yep. were just uh, an absolute powerhouse. Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of talent and we've still got that talent. Um, but we need to just be better at, at being on the on, on the front foot with our sport our branding can be better um we need to look at sponsors that are, that are looking at pushing the sport uh and, and promoting it uh, which is really important uh, back in the day when we were swimming brett you know we had companies like uncle toby's and telstra that were yep. you know we were in cereal boxes and things like that so um, we really need to get that back and, and and get the profile of the sport i mean signing with amazon prime has been absolutely wonderful for us um, the streaming service that, uh, and that's that's really the sexy thing to be in now is is, is in streaming, and mm -hmm. uh, we're very excited with that announcement. Um, you know, and we've got a lot of support. The you know the the athletes continue to be supported through Gina Reinhart, which is obviously extremely appreciated. She's very very generous to to the sport and to the athletes. Um, but it's it's really around that branding piece and and, and pushing the sport forward that that we need to get better at. And, you know, the ISL is very important um, because that's that's lifting the profile of the sport. We're delivering the sport in a very different way now. Um, and we just need to get better at, at, at making the sport more exciting and more interesting for the consumer. Yeah, you talked about that professionalism and, and a lot of other sports are, are going very professional. It seems like swimming is lagging a little bit. But in terms of the ISL, is there is, is, is Australian swimming or Swimming Australia supportive of that or are they looking to do their own thing and, and are, are we going to see an Australian team soon? Yeah, so the answer to that is all yes. You know, we're obviously supportive of whatever makes the sport more exciting and more interesting. I mean, I'd love to see a national competition similar packaged yeah. together similarly like the ISL. Yeah, um, me too. And, and then... You know, then you leverage off that in, into the ISL and uh, and then with an Australian team. So yeah, there, there's definitely discussions around all of that at this stage. Uh, it's just a matter of 
the deliverables and, and whether we can deliver that and when. Um, obviously, COVID's had, had a, a lot to do with holding a lot of things back, I mean, particularly in the Olympic Games. Um, but, you know, we're definitely looking forward. We're not looking backwards. Um, and, you know, these are the sorts of things that we know that we need to bring into our sport to make it more interesting and, and more consumable. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned uh, someone that we both have a relationship with, Cody Simpson. Um, it's exciting, you know, someone like him coming into the sport with his profile and, um, you know, being a superstar in, in a different field. But um, that's a good thing for Swimming Australia, right? Yeah, look, it's funny. I had this discussion just the other day where I was down at the New South Wales Open Championships and I was discussing with a couple of the other parents around this and around Cody and, and uh, you know, I was just, I was conveying to them just about, you know, simply how good is this for the support? It's just for the sport. It's going to bring more eyes into the sport. Um, you know, as I said, we're going to be streaming on Amazon Prime. Cody's got an international uh, profile, so it's going to bring more eyes internationally onto our sport as well so it can only be a good thing and look he's swimming really well yeah <laughs> you know yeah, he's, he's getting better he's i'm telling you yeah. yeah he is and he's a wonderful talent and uh we just hope we can get him out to this country and um and, and see him perform um there also with with the best that we have the best talent we have in, in our country yeah, he's he's going to be positive. Um, he's going to it's going to be tough for some of the swimmers though, because I'll tell you this: he's a magnet. He's a good-looking kid. He's starting to swim fast. Um, he's passionate about the sport. He's an ambassador for the sport. Look, he'll he'll help he'll help everybody around him. But he's a magnet, and everyone's going to be looking at him. Um, sponsors are going to be coming at him, and um, you know, as a swimmer, they're going to feel like he's he's grabbing a lot of the attention. So that that'll be interesting to see how we manage that and, and how some Australia manages that and how he manages it. But I, but I know that, look, he, he's an advocate for, for swimmers and he's going to be, he's going to be their best friend. So it'll, it'll be exciting. I can't wait to see it unfold. Yeah. Look, I, I think Cody's going to be generous um, yeah. with, with, with his profile and with the other athletes. I think he's probably going to be conscious of that. Uh, I mean, there might be some petty jealousies in there somewhere, but look, you know, at the end of the day, what's good for the sport is good for the sport, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and having Cody come in and, and be a part of that journey with us is, is only a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's what's next? What's what's the next uh, few months look like for you, mate? Uh, um, look, hey, it's, it's, it's tough in Australia at the moment. I mean, we, we don't have a lot of travel here. We're only traveling domestically and uh, getting staff for our businesses is really difficult at the moment because um, there's not, not a lot of international visitors or there's none really. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting. The economy is going to be interesting because we're, we, we are slowly rolling out this vaccine. Um, so, I mean, we're doing it slower really than the rest of the world. And, and my concern is that the rest of the world will open up and we'll be left lagging behind. With our borders still shut, um, so that that's that's a wait and watch scenario uh, with our businesses. And then in terms of the sport, it's we're just getting ready for Olympic trials. They're going to be down in Adelaide, and uh, at this stage, the borders are open, and, and we're all going to be able to be there. We've got contingency plans in place if if something happens, but but we are looking good. The athletes, you know, they're, they're swimming really well. I mean, at the New South Wales State Open just the other day, I mean. Emma McKeon and Elijah Winnington were real standouts. They yeah. really swam well. My God, they're, they're really on fire. I just hope that that momentum continues. Um, and, uh, you know, our, our head coach, Rowan, he, he's doing a great job getting them prepared for, for anything and everything. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's exciting. And, and, and hopefully, you know, the world comes together and, and, you know, the world 
sport performs at the Olympic Games and there's some really exciting stuff coming. Yeah, is Swimming Australia pretty confident that Tokyo is going to happen for sure? Yeah, we're, we're fairly confident. Um, and I, I think, you know, Japan and Tokyo, I think, are very determined to make it go ahead. Obviously, it's not going to be international spectators and that's going to be an adjustment for a lot of the athletes mm. and a lot of their families. It's a shame. Um, but I, I think the show must go on. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, a lot of other sports have shown that they can do it, you know, through Formula One and the AFL and the tennis and things like that. So it can be done. It just needs to be managed. And we just need to make sure that our athletes have the, the, the mental outlook and the mental, um, you know, determination and the focus to make sure that they can perform under these difficult circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? You got any kids that swim? Yeah, I've got my son. He's he's twenty. He just swam a PB the other day. It's, it's been quite a long time since he swam a PB. He's, he's had uh, glandular fever and a lot of shoulder issues. So it's it's tough being a parent. <laughs> and uh, you know, you sort of wish it was you. But uh, no, he's his his journey's going well, and he's studying at university. Um, so he's trying to qualify for the Olympic trials at the moment. And if he can do that, that'll be wonderful. And uh, you know, then the world is his oyster from that moment. Is he a sprinter like Dad? Yeah, he's a sprinter. He loves sprinting. Good, good he doesn't want to be more than nothing more than two laps. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's a smart man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, listen, mate, I appreciate your time. Great catching up. Thanks for sharing some of your stories, your life story, especially. And I uh, didn't know that about your sister. So uh, that, that was very touching. So I appreciate you, you digging into all that. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for your time. Yeah, mate. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.